Welcome to the Humor in Games podcast, an analog and video games podcast about how humor is experienced, designed, and analyzed in games. We are Scott DeYoung, Mark Lajeunesse, and Andre Zanescu, and we'll be your guides in this six-episode series. Throughout each episode, we'll break down different theories and forms of humor. We'll draw on interviews with designers, critics, and academics as they discuss the different aspects of humor, their own lived experiences, and how their work utilizes humor in games. Today we talk with Osama Dorius, a lead game designer at Warner Brothers Interactive, about considerations of humor within AAA game studios. Can you just tell us a little bit about yourself and who you are? Absolutely. Um, so my name is Osama Dorius. I'm the lead game designer at Warner Brothers Games in Montreal. We just recently announced which game I'm working on, so I'm the lead game designer on Gotham Knights. Also, I was the coordinator of the video game programs at Dawson College. I authored the independent game design program. Now I am a teacher in that program, so I've stepped down as coordinator. And, uh, in addition to that, I'm the co-founder of the Montreal Independent Game Awards, previously the Montreal Independent Game Festival, but we rebranded. This year, we're taking a year off, but otherwise it would have been our sixth year as a festival. Family man, uh, happily married, father to three kids. I guess that's enough. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I mean, in the same line, like, how did you get into game studies yourself or, or, or work in games? Uh, it's actually, I didn't study games. I studied political science. I don't think you were able to study games back when I was in school. I worked as a shipping agent for several years. So basically, my job cons- consisted of going on ships, meeting captains, shaking their hands. That was the fun part. And the rest of it was doing customs paperwork, and that was not the fun part. <laughs> so after a while, uh, I, I stopped doing that, and I went back to uh, a passion I had when I was younger, which was graphic and web design. Oh. And um, I, I was 100% self-taught. I picked up one of those Learn Graphic Web Design in 21 Days books, and I did it in a weekend, uh, like crunched it, and uh, made websites for my dad's business, and then his friends wanted me to make websites for them. So like it was a source of income while I was going through school anyway, and I found that I enjoyed it more than being a shipping agent. That taught me Flash, and that made me make games since I was making like levels for games since I was really young anyway. So that transitioned to making really, really crappy Flash games. But that <laughs> portfolio, when most people didn't have a portfolio, and that landed me my first job, uh, I had applied to hundreds of companies. Uh, at least that's how I remember it. It could have been dozens, <laughs> but it felt like hundreds. And um, I got one call back, one interview, and I landed that one job. Uh, the callback was interesting because it was as like close to when I was about, it was six months after I started applying back then that felt like a long time. Now I realize a lot of people really do, you know, even struggle longer than that to try to find their job, like the first job in their wanted career. Mm-hmm. Uh, but back then I was like, Oh my God, six months. I was debating whether I was going to keep going or if I, if I'd give up, I didn't get even a single interview at that point. Then mm-hmm. game Loss contacted me and they wanted to, asked me if I was a poker expert because they needed a poker expert for an upcoming poker video game they're working on. Uh, I played casually with friends, not even for money because I don't gamble. But I was like, yeah, I'm your poker expert. (laughs) They're like, okay, we have a test on Friday. So I went to the bookstore and I bought a whole bunch of poker books and I didn't sleep for two days and I aced the test. Apparently I was the only one who aced it because like, you know, and I lived on imposter syndrome for, for three years. I was at Game Off for almost seven years, but for the first three years I had like crippling imposter syndrome because I literally lied to get my yeah. job and I felt horrible about that. It's not a thing I, w- I normally would do, but I was so desperate. And so yeah, I took yeah. my boss for lunch and at lunch I told him, hey, listen, 
I have something to, to tell you. He's like, what is it? Is your wife pregnant or are you changing jobs? <laughs> like what's going on here? Because that's the, like the default that I need to talk yeah, to, yeah. you know, thing that he, he gets. And I said, uh, no, I lied about being a poker expert. He's like, I know that, you dummy. What are the that's chances funny. of finding a poker expert? We were just looking for anyone uh, yeah. who's willing to learn to do the work. I mean, you only worked on one poker game. After that, you worked on a multitude of different games. I needed someone who could adapt quickly. And I'm like, why the hell was I living with this anxiety for three years? I should have just come up and said it right away. That's really anyway. funny. Jumping into games now and uh, humorous games, because that's our focus here. Um, wh when you think of like a funny game, what's a game that comes to your mind? Um, it's hard to narrow it down to just one, because there's two different categories of humor in games that... Or, or, or different approaches to humor in games that I would think of almost simultaneously. One is like the game writing is good, like the dialogue is good, the delivery is good, it's funny. Uh, and the first one that comes to mind is like either Portal 1 or Portal 2, the Portal series. I find those games hilarious. Uh, just in, in GLaDOS and her uh, dialogue, like there are other contenders, but those are the first ones that come to mind. But the other is like in terms of the mechanics, the, or, or like you know how the, the actual realization of the game itself, like it, some kind of emergent humor. Uh, I would think of Octodad. Have you ever played Octodad? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Like that kind of game. It, like specifically Octodad is probably the first one that comes to mind. I don't know if it's the funniest one I've played, but that it's impossible to play Octodad and not laugh. You can't. It's, I mean, maybe if you play it a lot, but if you play in co-op, there's no way you don't laugh. It's made for you to laugh. Even you're laughing through frustration sometimes. So, <laughs> so yeah. like that's a like the the two broad categories. Uh, and after that, had some funny writing too, but it's mostly about the the actual emergent humor that comes out of the mechanics. Yeah, would you say there's a game that kind of does a bit of both really well, where like the the narrative kind of plays into the mechanics quite nicely? That's a good question. My first instinct was to say Goat Simulator, but Goat Simulator doesn't have much of it. <laughs> I don't know why it's the first one that popped in my mind, but that was like the other, like similar to Octodad. But you're a goat. I guess that's still a narrative in, the, in a way. Kind of just sticking with what you were saying with Octodad, because you're saying like it, it might not be funny in person, but it's definitely funny in co-op. One of the things that we've been kind of talking about is how humor changes went from like single player games to multiplayer games. Yes. Uh, and so in your experience, like what are kind of some differences there and in, in either design thoughts or just the games themselves? Well, I mean, in general, I've seen um, some research that uh, indicates that people have an easier time laughing already when there's just a group around. Like even uh, going to watch a, a comedy, like just a movie, a non-interactive uh, movie, if you're in a group and you hear other people laugh, you're much more inclined to, to be laughing anyway. So already that mm -hmm. is a layer on, on top of it all. Uh, but it's also like the um, games that have emergent humor, like similar to Octodad, uh, you trying to do a thing and failing is funny, uh, but could be frustrating. But you, the unpredictableness of what your co-op partners are going to do uh, is another layer on top of that that you can't get from single-player experience. Like, hey, how about you do this? No, I met the other thing. That by itself is, is, is humorous. It sets you up for a laugh. Uh, so yeah, I yeah. think, yeah, so I think just the, the, the these, not the written, the, the jokes, the landing, uh, if you can't hear the other, like it, it, it's it's more about if it's landing for the other person, and you hear them laugh, and it becomes a little contagious. It's not the same, and a lot of those maybe they're a little more personal. You want to spend more time um, exploring the world and like you know engaging in the narrative, uh, which we do. We're we're less likely to do um, when we're playing co-op. Like I know I, I love 
games like Divinity 2. I don't know if you've uh, uh, if you're familiar with it. Uh, it's uh, like, I personally haven't, but continue. okay. So it's similar to uh, like Baldur's Gate, for example. It's not okay. Um, I've I've played Divinity uh, alone, single player, and I've played it in co-op. Uh, and what I find is when I play it alone, I'm really into the story. I really want to talk to everybody uh, and uh, like get a sense of the world. World. When I play it in co-op, that kind of goes out the window, and I can't really explain why because I'm a very narrative-focused person. So when you're playing a single player, you're in control of who you're talking to, um, and you're able to not miss a thing or at least decide what's worth your attention or not. But when you play a game like that in, in co-op, um, a, one of your friends can wander off talk to somebody and you're going to miss that dialogue. So just, I think that the impact of missing things, uh, uh, that, like it makes the, the, what you're able to, uh, like, it, it just makes the experience very different. We're like, oh, okay, well, whatever. I'm missing a whole bunch of the story anyway. I'm just, that's not what I'm playing for. Uh, and it puts you in a different mind frame uh, for that. So I think any kind of narrative driven game that uh, leans into humor, if it's co-op, I think we'll suffer from the same thing. You're either forcing everybody to like, you're pausing the screen and you're showing everybody the joke, which is like disruptive. And you know, it's not the best way to introduce a joke. The person not, in, not uh, engaging in it themselves or deciding or, or like listening to it on their own terms. They're like, they're being snapped to that line of dialogue, which, you know, robs it a little bit of a tumor or you allow everyone to go off on their own. And uh, that, also takes it takes you away from the narrative and you become much more focused on like in, in the case of divinity to the rpg elements the leveling up the combat because those are shared experiences that like actually are enhanced by co-op and not the co-op experience doesn't detract from it building on that as well how, do, how does like spectatorship influencer culture stream culture now play into kind of designing games that are funny like do you as a designer or on part of the design team consider like how this will be picked up by like game influencers and how they might show it on their like youtube or twitch channels i've actually never worked on a game that focused on that specifically the i, I worked on for honor for example for honor has a bit of humor there were a few jokes here and there but it's mostly grimdark serious type uh, a combat game uh, and even though we do ex did expect streamers to play it we expected streamers not to so much to engage with a single player campaign but more to play uh, the multiplayer because it's kind of it's a fighting game right we, I've never made a game for streamers it's not a thing that I, that I in my career that I've considered yeah, no, that's 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 a very fair point. Um, now you mentioned For Honor. You're also like now taking the lead on the new Batman game. Those games are kind of dark and gritty, as you mentioned. And so, is like when you're making a game like that, how do you consider humor playing into that environment, uh, if at all? Well, from my point of view, right now, uh, I mean, I've, I haven't been a narrative designer for quite a while now. I think it was. It's about six or seven years ago that I was a narrative designer. My focus has been a lot more on system design or gameplay. Uh, but I can still tell you, like, from experience, from what I see from the dev team, even if it's not my personal experience, uh, basically it comes in layers, in many, many layers. It comes all the way from the top from the creative director, where the creative di director has to create documents and uh, make presentations to tell you what the tone of the game is. Uh, and I've never worked on a game where the tone was was no humor whatsoever i've like uh it not, never explicitly mentioned i've worked on a few games where humor was integral to to, to the design uh but most of the time it's like a tone that accommodates humor. like yeah we're able to have 
jokes in here or, or this or that. We oftentimes, if there are multiple characters, one of them will be the humorous one, just because it's an easy differentiation between them. And that usually manifests itself in, in wisecracks. Uh, while the character is, um, you know, just regular navigation or whatever they do, combat or things like that. And we saw that when I worked at Gameloft on, on Dungeon Hunter. We had character archetypes, and uh, some of the character archetypes would be written and, and voice cast with that in mind. So that's already a thing. Uh, the second thing is you have a lot of contributors, and a lot of people, their personalities come out. Uh, in the the art that they that they create or in the in their craft, so we have a lot of level designers. I remember one level designer in particular that I worked with at Cameloft absolutely loved humor and tried to integrate it into the level design as much as possible. So when they he, when he would specifically work with level artists, he would tell them, oh, and it would be great if when you arted this part up, you put in this Easter egg or this thing that players, if they see they're going to laugh, they're going to crack up because, uh, or, you know, misdirection or misleading or whatever. And you'd have other level designers who that w did not even register, did not even click. doesn't right. mean that it wouldn't make it into their level. It often would mean that if it come, came up in a review and a level design director would say, hey, this would be funny, let's put this here, then it would make it in. But then almost by default, you'd see that their levels would have fewer environmental storytelling elements that were humorous, just because that's not who they are as, as a as a, a craftsperson. And that's okay, too. Like, that's why you have a lot of variety, and that's why different people have different preferences to characters and levels. But it's, it's you could see it, like, it's layered. It really is. It's like, it starts from the top, the creative director decides what the tone is, and, uh, like, uh, polices, I guess, that tone, or, like, you know, enforces that tone. Then other directors also um, like uh, apply the same tone throughout. Uh, so, for example, an animation director would make sure that the emotes of this character will never be humorous because that is the grim dark one. But the other one, you know, they, he can like flip you the bird or do something else or or juggle and drop a ball or whatever they find humorous based on the direction of that character. Um, and then it'll go all the way down to the animator themselves who are like, hey. How about we, we give them a selfie? That would be hilarious, especially in a fantasy setting where cell phones didn't exist. You know, that, that, that's a joke right there in itself. So I'm going to propose this. Um, sometimes it comes up in the concept art. It can come from any different directions. I'm On the project that I'm on now, uh, we actually have a page where it's like to just Easter eggs. And many of the suggestions just happen to be... A lot of them were just like fan service. They found it like this. Uh, yeah. But many of them are just, this would be hilarious. doesn't mean they're necessarily going to make it in, but people love that page. They go back to it a lot, either to contribute or to uh, take stuff from it. Um, right. Yeah. So what do you think like humor offers in like a dark game like For Honor? Uh, it, it, it's actually, if you have the same tone throughout, uh, you're not doing anyone any favors. Because basically... Uh, if everything is dark, then nothing is dark. That just becomes your new normal. So humor not only gives you relief from the, the tone, but it, it's a kind of a palate cleanser that allows players to re-engage with the original intended tone of the game. Uh, I, I could give an example from a movie that you might have seen. Have you ever watched Terminator Salvation? Yeah. Okay, so in Terminator Salvation, uh, I'm not going to speak to the movie a lot, but I'll give it as an example. Um, the, there, was no, there was no joy in that movie. Everything was dark. Everyone was sad uh, 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 all the time. The entire movie, everyone had a frowny face. Nobody was laughing. There was no moment of, 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 of a break from that grim dark. And because of that, what ends up happening is, um, for me at least, from my point of view, I, got, I felt disconnected 
with the, the characters. I didn't want them to, I didn't really care so much if they survived or not because their life was miserable, to, you know, throughout. Yeah. So even if they survive this one encounter, they're going to go back to their miserable lives. So you need to, to have some kind of contrast. You need to be like, you know what? Times are tough, but look, I just, you know, had a watermelon and I threw the peel at your face and we shared a laugh. This is a fun moment. Life is worth living. <laughs> you know, let's uh, like let's laugh about this and then fight off the alien invading horde so that you have a chance to throw more water, you know, watermelon peels at each other or whatever it is. Like that, that it's it's a little bit of a break, a palate cleanser. It allows you to reengage with the intended tone to begin with. So you just have to be careful because if you if you overdo it, then that becomes your new tone and not the the break from the tone. So it's a, it's it's like a balancing act, right? Yeah, no, that makes complete sense. Now that that also makes a lot of sense for like games like that have like a very dark theme to use it as kind of bringing in that hope or kind of counteracting that that typical emotion. But how do you see perhaps humor playing across different genres of games or different styles of games? Uh, I don't, I don't like you seem to have an array of games that you've worked on, so I don't know how many genres you can speak to. But I mean, is there kind of a difference in humor across? Uh, type of games yeah um, uh, it was okay so i worked on another game called the other room it's a vr uh, mm -hmm. escape room game um yeah. and the spoiler i'm sorry i'm gonna spoil it to everyone uh, <laughs> but in the game the game is presented as a a training uh, module so basically you put it you put on the helmet and then you are going through these series of escape rooms uh, to see how good you are at, at finishing escape rooms. So it's kind of like a test, right? Mm -hmm. uh, but the narrative, the hidden narrative, is eventually you you are told, like you're, you're led to believe that there's an ascension AI who's studying humans and you are being tested in that sense. Like basically, uh, th this is real. It's not a game. You're in it and all... And, the AI is learning about us. It is sentient now. So, of course, it's not funny on its own. It's actually very unsettling. And a lot of the imagery that you have in the game uh, is meant to be unsettling for that reason. And um, the, the game was popular. We got actually pretty good uh, reviews. Uh, we used humor there to break the tension a little bit, again, as a palate cleanser. So it's not a grim dark, but it's si still similar. We're we're going from unsettling to doing something funny to disarm you a little bit, so that when we go back to unsettling, you're you're you have to like you know reengage with that feeling all over again. What else did I work on? Well, Heroes Never Lose is another game that I had mentioned to you before, which is a an action puzzler, um, and it's a parody game. The game itself is a, I, I love superheroes even before I started working at Warner Brothers. I've love, I loved superheroes, and there's proof of that because this is from like six years ago, um, right. and the characters themselves are parodies of known characters so it's it's it was intended to appeal to people who like superheroes to begin with and who uh, know about like the, that subject matter and are able to have this uh, moment where they like they they can share a laugh together because they know what this is alluding to they know that this is poking fun at tropes like for example natman is is the name of one of the characters which is poking fun at both uh, Batman and Spider-Man because their their animals are like yeah bats and spiders are they're supposed to be scary but they're real, little furry things right yeah, and yeah. people don't usually think about spiders as something furry but you know what I mean <laughs> yeah yeah and so how do we like push that one level further well you know there's uh, Natman uh, it's a gnat it's even more ridiculous than that um, there's also uh, Pronto who's probably my my, my favorite character uh, Pronto. 
a, is a, works at Pronto Pizza. He's a pizza delivery person who goes super fast and so fast, in fact, that he could stop crime between deliveries. Like little jokes like that, or or gun nut who literally shoots nuts out of his gun. Uh, some some of them are like different types of gags that they're kind of one-offs, but they they allow you to like uh, understand that these are like tropes from superheroes. Uh, they the characters become kind of instantly familiar, uh, you, and people can laugh about it. Whenever we had trade shows, people would come sh- like look at the characters, ask about them, laugh, and then sit down to play. So it would almost be a way to welcome people in uh, through humor. Uh, but it would also make them more engaged with finding out more about the narrative of the story. Maybe there's a few more laughs in there. And so kind of building on like that, that uh, <laughs> the discussion around like Spider-Man, Batman superheroes, I know that you can't talk about Batman and Son, so I don't know how much you can answer this question, but we were kind of curious how humor works when you're dealing with like large copyrighted images such as Batman, or um, you did a game with like Mickey Mouse. Like, do you have to consider the original artist's uh, intent uh, or creator's intent around humor there? Like how much freedom do you have in kind of adding your own humor into like designing around those kind of copyrighted well, characters? For, I, I did, like you mentioned, I worked on with Disney IPs in the past as well and with uh, DC IPs now. Uh, one thing that's been consistent throughout is the they control, um, rightfully so, what you're able to do with their characters. Uh, so there's like a check a system where you have to check in uh, periodically and ask for permission. But eventually, you get a feel for it, so you check in less, if that makes sense. So you're like, okay, you know what? We wanted to go with this direction. This direction is kind of new uh, for for Mickey, for example. You have to answer the big questions at first. You give him a voice. Who is their voice actor? Uh, all these things have to be approved. Then once you, like, let's say you want a, a specific kind of joke to happen, eventually you start feeling more comfortable saying, okay, well, this is a similar type of joke. They're going to be okay with this one as well. You get a feel for it, and um, there are less checks that go in as the project proceeds. Uh, usually, most of the time, uh, the all these sync-ups and check-ins happen at the very, very beginning to make sure everybody's aligned. But once right. alignment happens, you only check in with anything that you're not sure about. Uh, and you do that because you don't want to redo work. You don't want to like <laughs> come come in late in the project and they're like, well, rewrite this whole section. That doesn't work. So th- there's, there's kind of a, already a uh, mutually beneficial reason to, um, to make sure that all parties involved are uh are are for it if that makes sense yeah no that does and like on the same similar kind of point do do you guys consider like fan reactions to these things as well i mean a lot of the things you're working on have like huge fan bases so are you kind of considering like will the fans find this funny will the fans find this offensive uh things like that we actually check all the time uh for for anything offensive we have consultants um Always, always, all the time. Like um, the, to to make sure that any of the content that we create uh, won't be offensive. In terms of um, like whether it's humor or not, any any kind of content that we uh, that that touches a, a group, especially a kind of marginalized group that we don't have anyone on the dev team who's part of that group, we always have consultants to make sure that uh, they they sign off on it. And if they don't sign off on it, we make changes and we check with them early enough. We have to do that because otherwise, like I said, the cost is too big to cut content later, there's a business case for checking. And I'm glad for that because it means we make games that you know, don't offend people as much <laughs> as possible. Uh, in terms of does this joke land, we play test all the time. We do market research all the time. Uh, like any, any trailer that you've seen um, in the world premiere, 
yes, the world world public premiere. But you know how many private viewings we've had of those to, to make sure that people actually uh, like it. Uh, like early on, um, you'd you'd be you'd be shocked. Like there there are play sessions that happen with the, with gameplay. There are, uh, with trailers with uh, with anything just to make sure that you know this, these are hitting the right because uh, we get too close to the content itself. Uh, we we right. become the worst judges of that content. Uh, because like the funniest joke in the world, if you hear it three times, it's already not funny. Just three times. So yeah. at that point, you're like, I'm not sure if this is not funny for me, if it's not funny for anyone else. And other times, it's the other way around, where you put something in, but what's it really intended to be funny? And people start chuckling, and you're like, hey, can I lean into this more? You know, focus the camera more on this, uh, like draw it out and make that the you know like the the new focus. So all that happens through through playtesting. We especially with humor. Uh, you can't you can't just like gut feeling it uh, the whole way through. It's like humor doesn't doesn't age well if you follow what I mean. Yeah, no, exactly. And like, are there times though where it doesn't hit? Like where you guys have done all the playtesting and a game still comes out and you find that it still doesn't hit with the community? I know I, I've heard stories of games that have done that. I just I'm curious if that's your own experience. Well, from from my experience, I haven't really gotten that. I know that I've seen some people play through. Like the other room is a good example. I've watched. Uh, walkthroughs of the of the other room where the person did not react in either way to the unsettling things or to the humor and just was like sitting through it and like with a blank stare throughout and commenting just on the gameplay i've seen that and that was like you get used to it after a while you're like okay that's just a person's personality just not an emotive person um but i've I've never thankfully i've never experienced a well that was a bad joke (laughs) like yeah uh, like that, I haven't had yet, and hopefully, I'll, I'll never have. I don't want. I don't want to like. I don't want to sit through that. But the, no, the most not. I've had is the a joke just happened, and the person didn't react. I guess that wasn't funny. But the other video, the other person reacted, so maybe that's just not funny to everyone. That's like the closest I've had to that. Right, and that's and then, normal. Humor doesn't hit everybody all the time. Like, you know, like uh, not everybody laughs at the same things, right? Well, exactly. And so I'm kind of curious, do you guys have like a target group that you're kind of trying to design humor around? I mean, it probably varies between game to game, but... Yeah, it definitely varies between game to game. And to be honest, we target, like for bigger games, we target everyone. It's mainstream. So we ha- we'll have uh, the jokes for the fans of the previous games, the jokes for the, the fans who, who like the uh, the comic book content, uh, the, the jokes that the kids will like, the jokes that the older people will appreciate, uh, like... I say jokes, but you mean any kind of humor, right? Uh, so we'll target everyone all the time, and it almost doesn't matter. Uh, that's why I was talking about Easter eggs. Easter eggs are not for everyone, right? Easter eggs, if you notice them, uh, like it means that you usually, generally means that you've had access to some of our other content before, and that's why you recognize them to begin with, or that you spent more time researching either us as people, or the studio, or the characters, or the you know anything. For for the for an Easter egg to hit, not all humor has to hit all the time. Um, right. Not all references has to hit, have to all the time. Yeah, humor sometimes can get political very quickly, and so like, how careful are you guys around the jokes that are in the game and seeing how it might be interpreted in a different way? Uh, our narrative teams that are like any narrative team that I that I've worked with, uh, that's. A high, a top priority to make sure that we're not uh, offending anyone or misleading people to believe anything. We actually have a lot of th- we have legal departments in every video game company I've worked on uh, that check certain things if we're allowed to say them or allowed to do them. 
but we also ha encourage our own team uh, to, to raise any flags. Uh, we, we have the play test as well. And if we ask people if there's anything that doesn't, doesn't hit right, uh, we have the consultants. We have so many ways to check if we are saying something inappropriate uh, that the chances of something slipping in, um, it's not impossible, of course. We're human beings and mistakes happen. But the chances of something slipping in and passing every single gate that we have uh, in place, uh, it becomes very, very, very slow. Yeah, that makes sense. And I'm kind of also just curious about like sometimes designers they they're not intending or thinking in any way that like the mechanics of the game could set something up. But then like a streamer plays the game and they they find ways to play around with corpses that is really inappropriate, but yeah. on the stream it's seen as really funny. Like are those kind of considerations as well that you guys have to think about, or like yes. how do you kind of deal with those responses? No, we do have to think about, and we try to think about them. Uh, early on, and we challenge each other to make sure if, if someone thinks of something that we react quickly during the production. Um, but you know, those those things are more likely to slip in because you can't try everything and every possibility. Mm -hmm. Like I mean, even if you've heavily playtest a game six months before releasing it, within two hours there are more people who have played that game than your entire dev team and playtest yeah. team combined. Within two hours, so like within a day. <laughs> Like they've tried everything that you could not have had time to try. So like there are things that are going to slip through, especially through any kind of emergent gameplay. We worry less about that because intentions is important in that case, and people will understand in general. Uh, it's very rare that you'll find people who are called out for something that was clearly not put into place uh, intentionally. But things like that do slip in. Uh, I could give an example that I heard of from a studio that was in Montreal. I, I remember that the issue was after the game launched, someone realized that male characters were doing more damage over time than female characters, and they were otherwise identical. All their stats were identical, everything was identical, and they couldn't figure out why, until frame by frame they realized that the animation for the attack animation was a couple of frames longer on the female character. And that that was that made it. Yeah, that was it. It was honest mistake. They didn't like they marketed it as play as male or female. They're exactly the same. Back then, it was a big deal. It was like from nine years ago or something. They, there was zero intention from the dev team to actually make the male characters better. Uh, mm -hmm. And they fixed it in a patch, like shortly after. As soon as someone figured it out, they're like, "Oh crap!" A week later, update. There you go. It's gone. The animations are in sync now. And uh, it just didn't come up. And later I found out from friends who worked in the studio that it was a bug that got resurfaced. So they caught it during production. They fixed it. And then some other bug happened. So they rolled back that fix. And uh -huh. they kept going. And it just never came up again. They never tested exactly for that. It was very, very close to the end of, of the ship. And they just didn't notice that they reintroduced that bug again. Uh, so those kind of things happen. People reacted negatively until um, they made a statement of, this is a mistake and we will fix it ASAP. And it died down like within right. uh, within a day or so. So that kind of thing can still happen. Like like I said, we're still humans. Um, it's the, we don't care. This is our messaging. Uh, this is the vision I have for the game. Those are the problematic things that thankfully don't happen as often uh, like especially bigger productions, uh, 
than than they used to before because people are a lot more sensitive. We get sensitivity training all the time, um, and that's a good thing, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it sounds like for the studios you're working in, there's there's a lot of kind of le levels and layers that the game goes through, both in testing, but also in terms of like creative direction. Like it sounds like it's very much kind of a, a few people have like the direction, and then the other people working beneath them are kind of meant to kind of reflect that, and it goes through many hours of testing and what i'm kind of curious is because we've also interviewed some like indie uh studios and designers uh and you're kind of and you've also you know set up some I, place for independent uh people like what are some major differences in terms of like thinking about humor for you in your position uh now versus like uh, an indie designer yeah so i, I was indie one the other room that i spoke about that was an indie studio that that released it it was definitely not a, on a triple a budget um, we still hire consultants but we have way less budget to do that and some i know a lot of these don't have any budget to do that um, so a lot of times what they do is they uh, will try to do play tests where we just order pizza and have people play it and try to catch as much as we can it's the scopes are smaller so having a focus um, on the content is easier than the bigger games where the scope is bigger, but you have fewer people and less budget to catch things. But also I find people are more forgiving of indies and for a good reason, right? People understand, in general, people understand all of this. Uh, and so if, if an indie dev uh, makes a faux pas, uh, it's not going to be as, as widespread in the media. It's not going to hit them back as hard uh, people are, are going to be more likely to send them in, in, a message over Twitter and say, this offends me, can you change it? Than they would be, how could you have done this? Uh, like the tone will be a little, will be more forgiving. This is my experience. I don't know how other people's experiences are. Right. But from, from my experience, whenever uh, we release something in indie, people see it through an indie lens and they don't expect it to be uh, as thorough. They're more forgiving. And I hope that stays because, you know, that's justified. I've, I've been on both sides of the fence and it's not the same budget. It's not the same yeah. uh, processes. A lot of times for Indies, we just don't have enough time to even test the thing, for let alone play test the thing. You know what I mean? Like we're just crunching the bugs at the very end just to make sure it doesn't crash a week before release. But that's a very likely scenario. Uh, so I hope people are more forgiving of that. I know I am. <laughs> I'm yeah. No, that, that makes a lot of sense. I'm, I'm kind of curious, though, too, if, like, for indie devs, if they can kind of be like, oh, this is something funny that we want to talk about, and it might be a little, like, politically edgy, they kind of have more freedom to go about doing that, would you say, than you might have in your own larger kind of AAA studio? Yeah, absolutely. There's no question about that. Uh, this is across any of the studios I worked in. Like, at Gameloft, uh, we had a list of things, that, topics that we couldn't bring up. And uh, there are a lot of reasons for this, of course, but mostly it's just to mitigate risk. I mean, it's a, it's a risk reward. It's a goal of these big companies, obviously, is to make money. So if the um, if the controversy is likely to lose you sales, that's the thing that's going to end up on the cutting room floor. While for indies, um, like especially smaller indies where it's like like artistic uh, endeavor, so they're more like, no, this is the messaging I want to get across. Uh, that kind of like in, a, in bigger productions um the goal is more to stay safe and that makes a lot of sense it's the same reason why we have like big productions that are more sequels because that's more likely to be easier to market and uh like it follows the trends like don't just don't take a risk don't rock the boat like unless it's calculated like i'm not saying don't take any risk at all but i mean for something like this why would you take if it doesn't actually bring anything to your game, uh, just like leave it out. Especially because they're, like the the reach of, of AAA games is so much wider. You have to find something that doesn't offend 
almost literally the entire globe, right? Like, I know that's impossible, but like, there's a Venn diagram of uh, <laughs> of uh, what doesn't offend anyone at all. That's very, very tiny. Uh, right. So it's more about the bell curve. Where, what can you get that's near the middle of that? Thankfully, like we're we're getting better at that craft to figure out how we could do that. So without like we're getting better at like sensitivity training for for example what would have been yeah. Chinese uh, the Chinese market or European market or things like that. So we don't step on toes as much. But even then, like I. I, I, this is not my personal experience. I played through Ghost of Tsushima and I, I, I absolutely loved it. Uh, but I was I, I was very curious about how do you handle uh, a writing a game in Japan for but like like the game is written by Western by Western authors. Uh, so I read a, a lot about that and I actually saw that um, a lot of Japanese writers uh, online, uh, especially one that I follow on Twitter. Was saying, or actually, I, I'm not 100% sure she's Japanese, but she's definitely um, for, uh, from that, that that part of the world. But what she was writing is that the take on that game, specifically from Japanese audiences, isn't oh they did us right, but it's more like oh how cute this is what what they think of us. Uh, so, but they like they play tested and they made sure they weren't offensive, but it doesn't make them authentic. It's not the same thing. Right. But they're still within that Venn diagram of we can exist without annoying people or like you know offending people, which is right. which is, is is fine. When if if uh, an indie dev would have maybe went a little bit further or stumbled, they would have been more easily forgiven for obvious reasons, but their reach would have been less wide as well. Yeah, that, no, that makes a lot of sense. Um, just kind of jumping back a little bit to to the communities and how they react to these games. Um, yeah. We, we talked a little bit about spectatorship and live streaming. I'm wondering if like meme culture has ever been kind of a thought specifically for like community managers or kind of how you engage with the community. Cause we see a lot of games, you know, the the community himself will like make a lot of memes around it and make jokes from it. Some of which can be quite offensive or become political and that's their own doing, not, not the designers doing. Yeah. Uh, are these considerations that you guys have uh, when you're making the game kind of how it will be taken up in those ways? Uh specifically if the memes are going to become offensive is that the question or just kind of meme culture in general is that something that kind of has yes. become now on your radar yeah, yeah yeah absolutely we always have like um email threads or slack channels where it's like hey these are the memes that are being made uh, of our game we th the ones that are shared are curated by our community manager team or in the the odd chance that someone shares something from the dev team that's like uh this maybe you shouldn't share that it's quickly dealt with and deleted and we, we move on from those it rarely happens but you know once in a while someone that doesn't think it doesn't realize that hey that joke making fun of pregnant women maybe don't put that in uh, <laughs> <laughs> you, know, you know what i mean yeah. Uh, yeah so like usually like they're we're quick to react for situations like that but no we i mean we are I, I don't like the term, but we are gamers uh, as well. We play games and we're part of that culture, and we do that for other games. Uh, I remember w one of the people on, on, on a team I worked on, when memes first started appearing for our game, that was her first game that was revealed ever. So for her, her reaction was, wow, I'm on this side now for the first time ever. I'm usually the one who's creating the fan art and the memes for the games I love, and that was an emotional experience for her. Um, but so you, you, this is something that we do think about. We, we, uh, 
we see all the time. We're all on Reddit. We're we're on the, the like the discords and all the, the different things for our own games as well as usually right. incognito. Usually you don't know that we're there. We're lurking, but um, uh, we see it and we engage with it uh, as well. Telling you know sometimes anonymously telling the fans no that's not right or that's not how the character was intended uh, because we care. This is you know this, this these are our babies right collectively. Yeah. No, that makes a ton of sense. Uh, I actually think it's really interesting you time about like the flip and how it's almost like rewarding to find that people are finally making a meme of something that you made. That's really cool. <laughs> oh, um, I spent the last two days while working watching reaction videos. Uh, I told you I'm sorry I got back to you so late. I, I didn't have an excuse other than I was extremely oh, distracted. No, so, when you drop the like the announcement, we're like, oh, this is why. Is that yeah. a problem? At all? <laughs> I'm sorry. The few days leading up to that, the few days afterwards, I was like, yeah, the emails not answering, messages I'm not there. Oh, I was sure. a different person, so apologies. <laughs> no, 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 not at all. Don't worry about it. Um, okay, so I have two questions left for you. Um, yes. Uh, one, and this is maybe the hardest one, or maybe the easiest one. Uh, but how do you personally define humor? Like, what is humor to you? Uh, I yeah, it's probably going to be the hardest one because I don't know other than something that makes you laugh. I I, I don't know beyond that. Uh, humorous, yeah, something that that makes you laugh or makes you have the feeling that you want to laugh, even if the actual sounds don't come out of your mouth. Yeah, yeah, no, that, I mean that we're kind of just we're asking everyone it and kind of seeing what kind of themes. The the last question I have, and it's one I ask everyone: Is there are there any other pieces that you thought we talk about today that we didn't get a chance to talk about, or anything that you wanted to bring up that we just kind of I never asked the right question to kind of get there? Um, no, I, I I was actually expecting more questions about uh, like the the breakdown of the dev team, uh, but like the it's actually pretty straightforward. Like we have um, creative direct like who who would be involved in the the creation of humor. So it's pretty straightforward. Uh, we have the creative director on top to set the tone. We also have a narrative director to actually write the story beats. Uh, narrative designers as well to, uh, who have a, a say in it. We have mission designers um, who, like, you know, a lot of mission, missions are humorous in, in the, uh, of themselves. Like, basically, the mission itself can come from the mission designer, or it could come from the narrative designer, or it could come from the level designer. It could come from a lot of different sources. But a lot of times, it's the dialogue that's humorous, and a lot of times, it's the setup itself that's humorous. Then we have the script writers who try to put humor in a anywhere. And we're not just talking about in um, the VOs. It could be in the description of some items. It could be in your achievements. Um, it could be, you know, or trophy descriptions or whatever it is. There's so many opportunities to have humor in things. Uh, like I mentioned before, um, even the artists, like some, some of the concept art, uh, some of the uh, sketches for like, I don't know, um, uh, like storefronts or uh, like t-shirts designs or whatever, depending on the kind of game. You're, like if you're working on a game like Watch Dogs, then you have like, uh, or, or any game in a real-life setting that allows customization of your characters, just having a funny t-shirt is a choice, right? Someone had to make it, someone had to approve it uh, at some point. Or, or storefront, maybe they have like, uh, like what was it, uh, GTA and Saints, Saints Row. They, they have all these really funny stores that are like parodies of real-world stores in some situations, right? Uh, was it their version of Apple? Was it Pear? I don't remember, but you know, like that kind of thing. Um, all like... It's, it's really a team effort. Uh, a lot of different departments are uh, implicated in it. And of course, for indies, it's the same people, except usually those same people are just one person. <laughs> right. Or like a few people, a handful of people. But it's the same. It still scales down to indies as well.
That was our interview with Osama Dorias. Thanks again to the Tag Lab for supporting the series, and thanks to you for listening.